0: everybody, this is the Wild Ass Podcast, and I am your host, Wild Ass Craig. This is episode 20, and in this episode, I get to introduce all of you to Rob Bidos. Rob is a guy you may have heard of before. He's the voice of all of the Parts Unlimited and Drag Specialties events. If you've been to an AMA Pro Motocross National in the last couple decades, you'll recognize Rob's voice. He's the creator of Pit Bike Racing and most recently, the Bagger Racing League. I've been fortunate to know this guy since the late 1900s, and I have to tell you, it's my honor to introduce all of you to my friend, Rob Bydos. Rob, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks a lot, Wild Greg. Craig. It's an honor to be here.
0: This excites me, and it makes me nervous at the same time, because you're a whole lot more experienced behind a microphone than I am.
1: Oh, I tell you what, first time I met you, I remember we did a little go-kart race, I think, out in uh, Orange County. And I thought you were uh, fine behind the microphone then, and then you showed your motorcycle industry chops by not only finding a company, but uh, taking part in one of the gnarliest things I've ever heard, the Hoka Hay, and here we are on the show, so I guess I'm the one that's honored to be on the show with you.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I was going to ask if you remembered the first time we met, because you're exactly right. I couldn't remember where it was, though. I knew it was a go-kart event.
1: We were in Anaheim, California. It was Parts Unlimited Le bon Corporation over at the uh, kind of the Anaheim hospitality area, and factory effects at a go-kart race, and Mike Ego, and uh, we think, who won it? I want to think that, uh, oh gosh, who was it? Dean Heron, I think, won it.
0: Yeah, I don't remember who run, who won it, but I used to have the time sheets, because some of the riders that were there, the you know, they were motocross riders that were there, and I had faster time than one of them, and that was like my pride and joy forever was to carry, you know, have that time sheet sitting on my desk when I worked at Parts Unlimited, like, ah, I'm faster than that guy. See? Yeah, that was that was funny. Yeah, so you remember that. That's cool. For those of you that, sure. have, which most people have never heard this story, we had not met each other. We're both up there with microphones, and I'm like trying to help you announce, because I announced at my track here, and it was like, wait a minute. Okay, yeah, now
1: I know who you are. Well, there was you, there was Kyle Hall, there was a, bu- there was a bunch of announcers in the Lamont Corporation at that time.
0: There was, and we all had a good time everywhere we went together as well. Absolutely. Still do. Absolutely. So I'm really excited for this show because I get to flip the roles on you a little bit. Every time we see you, you have the microphone and you are getting the person you're talking to, you're getting their story. Well, this time, now I get to make this show all about you. Wow, thanks. That sounds awesome. To start off, tell us about your family. I know you're married.
1: Yep. Got a beautiful wife, uh, 18-year-old, going on 30-year-old daughter. And uh, we live in beautiful Boardman, Ohio, and Pittsburgh Airport seems to be my second home as I find myself there often, coming and going.
0: 18-year-old daughter, I didn't realize she was that old already.
1: Yep, driving, and she's, yeah, she's uh, <laughs> she's something else. It happens fast, doesn't she's it? She's got plans. She's got big plans.
0: Yeah, that's cool.
1: How did you get into
0: motorcycles?
1: I mean, I was just a little, little guy, and, you know, kind of, grew up in a neighborhood where a lot of people had motorcycles and so it wasn't that taboo you know you could easily make an argument to your parents you know look out the window there's you know eight nine guys riding so to get a bike when i was pretty young and my mom really my dad was an over-the-road truck driver so he wasn't home many weekends but my mom loved whether it was water skiing snow skiing snowmobiling motorcycling loved it so it wasn't hard to talk her in the loading up the van and going out to you know, motocross, supercross—well, not so much supercross back then. Motocross, flat track, little bit of night motocross, hair scrambles, things like that. That's cool. And uh, she she loaded up the truck and take us, and you know, kind of knew her way around the the racing pretty well. That's awesome. Normally,
0: it's it's yeah. the opposite of that. It's dad taking everybody, so that's that's awesome.
1: Yeah, no, I mean it was my dad was into the cars. He liked cars. Motorcycles were okay, but he really liked cars. My mom thought cars were okay, but really liked, again, motorcycles, water skiing. She loved all that kind of stuff, you know? Like, she was really the adventurous one of the group. And if it kind of wasn't for her, I for sure wouldn't have got a motorcycle as young as I did. I think I probably eventually would have got one, but she's the one that took me, you know. We went up to the motorcycle store, and it was not it was a lawnmower store, actually. They were pool start minibikes back then. Okay. It was a rock bike and, and she was the one. Went up, we got to have one. Let's go. The Little Rupp. So that was your first bike. First bike. What we was went it? to a pro hill climb, and they had an intermission, a kid's race. Transmissions, meaning like a mini trail, Honda. Okay. And if you didn't have gears, you were in that class. And the ones with no gears, cool start, I got a second, first time out of the gate. That was my show and tell trophy from like kindergarten to like second or third grade, wheeling that thing in.
0: <laughs> was it a hill climb then? Like did you have to climb a no, hill with if
1: it? If we were at a hill climb. The race was down at the base of the hill, you know, at intermission. Okay. Just, you know, round cup. Actually, back then, literally, it was around a couple trash cans, and, you know, there was no real, it was, you know, just an intermission kids race.
0: Just to keep the kids occupied, keep them involved. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. I remember the race, the guy, 1969, and the guy actually had a megaphone, not a electric powered thing, a megaphone. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah.
0: What bikes did you have after that? Do you remember the progression of motorcycles? Sure. Oh, God,
1: yeah. Um, so we went from that, and then, like, as soon as we got done with the, that thing, so this was the end of the, the very end of the 60s, beginning of the 70s. So the mini bikes were, like, a whole year, maybe two. And then real quick, my dad brought my, in. now my dad was bringing home, so he's truck driver, so he's bouncing around, running. He brings home a Trail 70, and that's, like, Mine for a minute, my mom likes it a lot. Then we go to the XR-75s. Then she, uh, or then I was, it was it was a bad move on my part. I was complaining that I wanted a two-stroke. so They brought me home chaparral. You remember those? I don't. Well, there's not a lot of people that do, but so I went from an XR-75 to chaparral because they were 2 strokes. Was not the right move. Those lasted a pretty short period of time, then went to YZ80s and then Kawasaki you had an RM100, and you know, the rest goes on and on from there. Then a bunch of 250s and just finishing up a build right now. I was just at the AMA Museum and I saw one of my bikes that's still on display there as the Ron Lachine bike. And I'm just finishing up the Yamaha with the help from the gang at Moto Zilli right now. And that should be done pretty soon.
0: You have a bike in the Hall of Fame?
1: Well, it's not a Rob Bitus bike. It's a Ron Lachine bike. But okay. yes, yes, I do. Well, that's Awesome. Give us your race. I mean, I mean, it's really bad app, you know. Yeah. So,
0: give us your racing history then, because those aren't all trail bikes.
1: Oh, uh, racing history was you know, I mean, local stuff, local stuff. My mom's deal was it, it was whatever was closest. I mean, flat track, motocross, straight, didn't matter because we had probably about four or five tracks an hour or less from the house, and it was literally which one was closest. So. You could have raced two motocrosses in a row, been doing good, and the hair scramble was 30 minutes away, and the motocross was an hour, we're going to the hair scramble.
0: So then that would make you a pretty well-rounded motorcyclist.
1: I would like to ride motorcycles, but it really, you know, I mean, you know, hair scrambles are, are fun, Motocrosses maybe a little more sexy, you know, the flat track was really different, you know, just different, but, you know, I, I got to experience them all. That was one of my mom's big things, you know, like I said, was that. Even my sister, my sister knows how to drive a stick shift car. She knows how to ride a motorcycle. You don't have to do it as a job, but you're going to know how to do it. You know, she knows how to water ski, things like that, you know. Sure. Then if you choose to pursue it, awesome. Yeah. Well, all those, But you'll at least know how to do it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And all those different uh, genres of motorcycling definitely make you a better motorcyclist all the way around. It may not make you the fastest of any, but... No, but you can do all that. Yeah, of if
1: you've gone off a jump, you know what that sensation feels like. If you've hit something on the on the track that kind of deflects the front wheel, you know, whether it be a rock or in the off road a branch or a stump or something. You kinda I mean, it's not that you're like you want that to happen, but if it does, you at least have a plan A on maybe what to do, you know?
0: Yeah, you don't even think about it anymore, probably, even to this day.
1: Yeah. Oh I mean, yeah, no, it, it it helps. It definitely helps. I mean, if anyone, as if, much as you can ride anything, you know, you're going to get better at doing it. So if anyone out there, you know, what's the thing to become a pro, 10,000 hours or something like that? I think it is. It's 10,000. Yeah, I think you're right. It's 10,000 yeah, hours. You have to devote like 10,000 hours to it, you know, and I mean, I started when I was young and, you know, I, I just still enjoy the, tech. we just went for a ride uh, just this past week. You know, just a group of guys, no rhyme or reason, just go for a ride, you know?
0: What type of riding were you doing this weekend?
1: This, um, week? this weekend we were at the AMA Hall of Fame. It was actually like Thursday. Just Harley riding. Just some friends. We went out as back roady as we could and found a nice little place to have some lunch and then tried to take a completely different way and get lots on the way home. Just that kind of stuff. Sure.
0: What are you riding today? Like, what's, right your, to what's your ride now? Gosh.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'd have... I have kind of too many. Um, <laughs> I was going to get to that. What to all the do you have in your stable? Side. I
0: was going to get to the what all do you couple have in your stable. A
1: couple road glides, FXRs, things like that. You know, okay. I had some really cool sport bikes back in the day. Got rid of those. The dirt bikes are mostly classic. couple pit bikes. Stuff like that. But the road glides your uh, cruiser? Yeah. I mean, when we when we got into the you know, when I started the Bagger racing league, it is because I was even doing my bikes differently, you know, when I started customizing Harleys in the early nineties, it was take what you have, slam it on the ground, take off one of the front brakes. So you could showcase the front wheel. Don't stop. just look cool. You know? Right. And if you did do the motor, it was put a cam and some stuff in it. No one put the chain driver Cause you didn't want to put chain lube all over your back wheel and shit like that, stuff like that. And, you know, so you just kind of, you know, kind of chrome stuff and paint and stuff and things like that, powder coat. And then when they started, you know, making them taller, a little more gangly, I'm like, man, you're going to need to show why you do that by going to the track, going to a bike show is not going to probably be his best friend, you know? Yeah, So, sure. showcase. you know, this is the first genre of customization. You know, you think about, like, if we do World War Two guys were coming home and taking the front fender, the front brake, cutting the back fender, the bikes didn't ride better and they weren't safer they just look cooler you know Mm -hmm. then you went in the choppers again way not really good at handling didn't stop well weren't great for corners but had a look about them now the bikes turn better stop better go faster are more more ergonomically correct you know it's actually the first time that the custom bike world's ever made a better bike you know rather than go oh the thing doesn't turn or stop but man does it look cool it's like this thing turns stops corners Accelerate, break, you name it, it
0: does it at a really high level. They're showing all of that now in the Bagger Racing League, which is something I do want to get to. Okay. Before that, I wanted to find out kind of your history
1: career wise.
0: How did you get to. My first
1: motorcycle shop, 1980s. Rest in peace. He's a bad dude. Bill Andrew and Russ Hain, both of them. Andrew Cycles canceled Ohio. They had Honda, Yamaha, Kawasaki, Suzuki. They were. I mean, when you look back, they were way ahead of their time, you know, buying deep and selling cheap and working on finance and extended warranties and just doing great things. So they gave me a big chance. I went to work for JT Racing as a road rep then. Then I got a job at Dr. Jerry's Harley Davidson and the Herboski family was incredible to me. He sold it. I was there for a bit, went to pro action racing with George Quay and those guys. And that's how I really did all the nationals and and really got immersed into the real pro pro motocross scene at a deep level. We were part of the NPG and all that and left there, went back to Youngstown Harley-Davidson was there. in the 19, late 99, it was like 2000, maybe it was February 14th of 2000. The Lamonts corporation came, calling. went there and still working with them through, I'll be at an event this week in the drag specialties dealer ride and MVPs and all those kind of things. And then, um, Started doing a lot of stuff around. I've been doing pro motocross announcing and things like that since early 2000. The Bagger Racing League started about three years ago, and you know here we are in the off season just ramping up for what we're going to do next year.
0: Yeah, everybody just getting ready for next year. Is the pit bike racing? You're still doing
1: that? Yeah, we just did that at the motocross nation, <laughs> the pit bike nations. If you go on YouTube, you go to pit bike nations 2022. There's a couple different videos that have been put out from england and different places like that and it was incredibly well received the weather was amazing the guys at, uh, at redbud built us the like the coolest track and you know thor sponsored it 100 percent. we had bevo down the line and just all that stuff miss payton made all the pipes for us and yeah it was it was unbelievable 13 countries best three riders in america came out on top with a one-two-one finish that's pretty solid
0: how did that ever first start? First year we
1: did it, they went 1-1-1. One, one, one. This year, Brian Villapoto actually got a second to a fellow from France. Which, okay. Uh, then Carson Brown and Willie Browning rallied with uh, two wins, so pretty hard to beat that score.
0: That is. How did pit bike racing ever start? How did you ever
1: get that started? So we were doing it. There was a, a local guy, my man Nippy Nug, and we raced around his house, but never till like 2 or 3 in the morning. Then we all bought him, so we had him, and we were at, uh, Steel City Motocross National, and the and Rita Coombs and a couple of the other folks are like, hey, we need to do something for the crowd. And I'm like, I got this idea. We'll bring in these pit bike racers. And they go, pit bikes are legal. I'm like, exactly. But if you dedicate a time that they are legal, and you showcase them with some pretty high end athletes, people will watch it. So we had Sean Palmer and a couple guys like that at the first one race. Trevor Vines and on and on and on. And sure enough, the people really found it intriguing and interesting and from there we did it at Nationals for years and then it kind of faded away but we brought it back with the motocross the nations and now we've got some plans for twenty three with that that are gonna be pretty badass too.
0: That's cool. So when you say pit bikes are illegal, explain that statement because well, I, I don't mean, think everybody it, knows
1: that. they were always thought of if you let these guys ride around on especially at night, you know, they're gonna just ride crazy and be nuts and whatever. So Forever, and this is from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. They, you just don't bring them. If you don't bring them, then you can't be mad that someone's got one and you don't. So when we did it, it was like, wait, pit bikes, and then we, I had to deal with them if they caught us ten minutes before the event or ten minutes after the event, arrest us. You know, it was like that's not us. We're right at the event, and then we go, and then we put them away. You know.
0: Yeah, I remember, you know, from the track days, people that brought their pit bikes were always the cause of the trouble and not. Oh, not yeah, the you same know, got wheelie so. for a mile if you can, you know. Well, yeah, that's what they're built for. And you can, so, you know. How did you become the voice of the pro nationals? Oh,
1: uh, that's, <laughs> that's pretty funny. So, Dave Coombs, right? Senior? Senior. Okay. We're at a race, and at the time, Western Reserve Motorcycle Club, that I'm a lifetime member of, I was announcing. Races out there. You know, we all had to have a job. Even if you race, when you weren't racing, you had the flag or work in the concession stand or the water truck or do the starting gate or whatever. So, you know, announcing to me seemed to be like the next logical thing to do, you know. So that's what I was doing. Local area word kind of spreads a little bit and we were at high point. And if you remember way back in the day, the way motocross worked was there was amateur racing. And then on Saturday, about halfway through the day, they switched gears. They did some pro practice, and then they did the first round of qualifiers. And that smacked the field down a little bit. And then the second day, which would be Sunday, they'd have a bit of practice and a final qualifier. And then you'd actually have the two motos for the two classes. Anyhow, on the Saturday, the one fellow that was announcing – was still riding a little bit of, like, he just wanted to, to ride. You know, National Week and he wanted to ride. He was in one of the age group classes, and he went out. So when he went out, he said, hey, go up and announce till I get back. And I did. And, you know, back then you went and parked your bike in the pit, and then you had to kind of walk back. It was all a little bit of a chore. So I probably had, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 minutes of uninterrupted just me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And by the time I was done, Big Dave Coombs said, hey what are you doing tomorrow? I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't know. He goes, well, it sounds like you're announcing. So I'll see you tomorrow, eight o'clock. I kind of like that. Just throw you the microphone. And, and it, and it went, it, and back then it was like, you know, if there wasn't a a, a a solid group of them and there, there became one. And as I was working with parts unlimited, they're like, Hey, you're here. Aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, you want to do this. And I'm like, sure. So that's how it worked out. It's been quite a while now.
0: Oh, and it's great. It's always cool. I haven't been to a pro national in a long time because of the way the schedules work out now, but um, I remember the last time walking into Millville hearing your voice over the PA going, wait, I know that guy. <laughs> i tell cool. you the
1: place that's really amazing is Daytona because the PA system, there's set up for NASCAR. So 20 dirt bikes, it sounds like, you know, the voice of God when you boom through that thing. So that's the Supercross night. That's Supercross. I do. That's the
0: only Supercross I do. Yep. And I've, uh, I've heard you there. The yeah. Daytona Supercross to me is probably the coolest one. It's so hard to see anything because you know by the time we get there, because we're all vending up north. By the time we get there, seats are way up at the top. But it reminds me of the days where we used to do Faircross. That makes sense. Similar, huh? Yeah, it's very because you know the announcer, like like you say, it's set up differently, so you can hear you coming from every direction. It's just it's a whole different vibe. If anybody gets a chance to go to that Supercross, I would recommend it. I love that one. That's yeah, a good time. So you're announcing for 23 still? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> they haven't told you otherwise? Unless you've heard anything different, <laughs> <Nope>. you know. <laughs> nope. Another thing I wanted to ask you about that probably hasn't been in a while, but the Moto Fight
1: Club. Um, Tell us about so, that. W- all right, so COVID hits, right? And everyone's at home. Everyone. We don't care if you have a job, if you're an athlete, everybody's at home, you know. Right. And no one really knew how to come back to work. And I was watching a lot of the, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to attempt to do it. And I'm like, all right. So it sounds like, you know, what I'm hearing is they want small groups of people to do it and they don't want a crowd. That's what I'm hearing. Yep. So I said, so I, you know, have a, I guess the word Rolodex is lost upon some generations of people, but a phone book or a phone that has some contacts in it. So it started with Brian Villapoto, then it went to Kevin Wyndham. then it went to Travis Pastrana, then it went to Jake Weimer. And we're calling these guys going, look, if you come here and we race here and no one can know about it, we can't have a crowd, we can't have this, we can't have that. So we were the first motorsport to happen post-lockdown, I guess. And it was in Youngstown, Ohio. And then we did flat track racing and we did a wrestling event with some Olympian guys. And we did a pit bike race and a bunch of things during COVID. And once once the COVID restrictions were lifted and people were going back to to major events again, those things were we just re-implemented it back into events. You know?
0: Yeah. Will they so, will they come back?
1: we will see. I mean, I'm somebody that likes to come up with things, and I don't like to do well. Back in the '50s, they the stuff I come up with, no one's ever done. <laughs> right. You know Harley Davidson's been a motorcycle company since 1903, so 119 years, right? Yep. And Bagger Racing's three years old. Yeah. So let's right. well back in yeah, the yeah, let's 70s talk about race, that. have that bells out there. Never, ever, ever were they ever on a road racetrack, right? You know. And then when we did it, so that's new. Um, the Pit Bike Nations, Pit Bike Nations is 75 years old. It's Been done twice. That was me. You know, it's not like the things I'm doing. Oh, everyone has been doing. Nope. I like to come up with things that are highly unique.
0: That prompts the question.
1: Ideas up. I got some more as, ideas yeah, up. Yeah, I was going to say thing. that So prompts look for the question. some more things coming.
0: I, I, oh, I will. But it prompts the question where do these ideas come from?
1: Ah, airplanes and cars. Lots I mean, of, we work so far away from these events and you just have hours to think. And, you know, anymore, it's not polite to talk to people on an airplane. You might give them cooties. So you just <laughs> sit there in your own brain and come up with like, and I've got a weird teeth. When you're the announcer, You're standing next to the most important person there usually, you know, the celebrity racer, the president of the company or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so you see all the eyes on them. So I'm usually in the front of the room. If there's five people or 500 people in the room, they're all looking in the same direction. And I see when things are said or done that get these people to go, oh, man. And then there's other stuff. They're like, yeah, who the hell cares? So I try to use that experience as to go, you know what? People get excited about this type of experience. So try to come up with something that gives them that, you know? Yeah, that's great. I mean, you know, like I've kind of said it to some other people and some other stuff. Like me and you and and people in the industry that we know right now, I mean, we didn't invent it. And a hundred years from now, it's going to be other people. It's just our job to try to do stuff to make it better so that when we're not here, it has a stronger foothold, you know? Sure. We're like the caretakers, so to speak, you know? <laughs> it's all we can do, you know? You just yeah. kind of do with it, try not to hurt it, try to help it, try to help it grow, give it strong roots, and, you know, hope the next generations do the same. So I think they will. Motorcycles instill a lot of passion in people, you know?
0: That's for sure. Let's talk about the Bagger Racing League. That's three years old. Yeah. I, I mean, again, tell how that started. I happen to know this well, story a little bit. No, so I mean, like I, I I'd I love you to were, share it.
1: Were were not being slammed to the ground they were being raised up and then extra raised up going two over you know on the front forks and not in the chopper mode by de-raking the front end and raising it you were getting more ground clearance they're trying to everyone all the bags are going to hit no the primary's going to hit that sticks out way far so now the big thing is sucking in the primary and then the gear changes and then once you went to much taller shocks, the chain become a thing how to keep it on the you know with all the chain tensioners and stuff you know, how to make the brakes work, how to get the transmission all strong enough. Just all these things. Well, as they were doing it, the bikes became less show bikey and more kind of race bike. And I'm like, let's just go to the track. So we got some people agreed to let us head up to Laguna Seca and we did it. People went nuts over it. And now we're, you know, we're trying to put together a series where we just showcase Harley Davidson's and Indians road race. We know that the BMWs and Aprilia's and Ducati's and Kawasaki, they've had race series for them forever. And there's still plenty and they're top shelf The series. They can go compete in, but for just the Harley and the Indian group, we want to give them something, you know, the vendor roads kind of for them, the, the stunt shows are for them. The, the bike shows are for them. It's, you know, kind of like, Hey, we're going to celebrate you at the racetrack, you know? Yeah.
0: You've had it for two years or three years now?
1: We just finished our second year. We're at the okay. start of our third year coming up.
0: That's what I thought. So in two years, that's a very short period of time, but it's motorcycles and it's racing. What has the evolution been in such a short time of
1: how these bikes have changed in just two years? Um, the, the very first time we went off, everyone was still, you know, they were still thinking the motor's a big, important part, which it has importance, but not the most. You know, durability of it's the most. Everyone was still searching for the right brakes, the right suspensions. Now they're fine. Now they're, they have it, but now it's the fine tuning, you know? Okay. And then it's finding the riders that could give back the information, you know, on something that the bikes aren't squirrely, you know, they're pretty stable, but there's definitely a lot more technology coming that's going to make them more, a lot more durable. The aftermarket's moving real fast on this. The guys at Fueling, Alloy Art, Fly Fox, Asani, Clockworks, you know, they make a great windshield that helps these things. The the Saddleman Seat guys, what they come up with, the guys from Speed Merchant, the Traft crew I mean, all these people are just coming up with amazing things that are changing real fast.
0: With all that change. Initially
1: comes- 12 inch shock for long, now they're 14 and probably going towards 50. No kidding. In the back, you know?
0: Yeah. That's crazy. But all these changes are only going to make for safer bikes on the road as well.
1: Well, they, you know, I mean, you think about it, if you go from a 13 inch Ultra Shock down to an 11 inch and you expect it to ride the same, that's a tall order that you put. I don't know. Everything about these bikes just makes sense. So cool. And same thing,
0: you know, these things, these events always happen when we're at events. So I never get to come and watch them.
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's we're we're looking on a schedule where we might be able to have some vendors come to the track and we, and we have some, but even bring more, you know, once we piggyback off a big event, most of them are at the, the bigger Harley shop destinations and there's no question why, but if we could find some times that work for everybody, I think it'd be great to have the vendors come out and really spend some time one-on-one with the customers, you know, outside. And I think that's where business gets done.
0: Yeah, for sure. 2023, do you have a schedule
1: written or you're working on it now? No, we're working on it today. We were on the call there's some of the tracks we've worked with that are super interested we have a couple new ones that are real interested so we're gonna try to do our due diligence to come up with one that makes sense travel wise year you know kind of the year wise all those things so that you know we could bring them a pretty good experience and then we're probably gonna do some double headers at the different rounds so that'll be good too
0: when you talk about uh, doing your due diligence what are you looking for in a location
1: we're looking for the infrastructure. You know, we want to make sure there's a place for, you know, a lot of our riders and things make the big travel. So we want to make sure there's that. I, we think it's good that the um, motorcycling community, the dealership level, you know, hopefully we can get in there, pre you know, prior to the event, talk to them, maybe even have them set up as open houses and things for it. Uh, we were real lucky up in Milwaukee, the open road Harley-Davidson up in Fond du Lac and Suburban Harley both had, you know, bikes on display at their shop and. So that helps because the parts guys, the service guys, they're all talking to their customers going, hey, are you going to go check this out? And You know, that's the, the part that's been a little bit unique. A lot of these Harley dealers have road rates, mostly on XRs, Buells, uh, 883s. But, you know, they're talking to their customers now about, you know, swing arms, chain conversions, you know, cam chests and titanium exhausts and crazy stuff, you know? Sure. They're talking about knocking 250 pounds off of the bike.
0: That's just crazy. It's stuff that I've, I guess, you know, most of us would just take for granted because in every other form of racing, it's been going on forever where in the baggers
1: and in the Harley world, it's still new. Well, they've never invited them. You know, every time they did go race it was always with the sports there and they're like, Hey, what about like our FXR class, which is Softtails, FXRs, Dinas, the Indian chief. That's one of our biggest classes, the NAMS, big Twin. we, 22 riders isn't uncommon in that class. How many go out at a time? Like how many
0: guys are you putting mean, on the track? We haven't
1: reached uh, the 40 would be the limit. We've, okay. We haven't reached that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Factory support. 20, 20 right? some is a big clap for us. You know? Okay.
0: How, where do people go find information on this if they want to come and see it?
1: Well, we have the Facebook, of course, bagger racing league. We have the Instagram bagger racing league. A lot of people refer to us as the BRL. We have our website baggerracingleague.com. See the rules, the points from last year. Uh, a group of our sponsors, a group of our racers. A lot of it's been really good. There's some real interesting individuals that are obviously doing this. Guys all the way from Ben Wastrom down to like Patricia Fernandez, who's you know an amazing racer in her own right, and then her fiance, I guess, husband coming up here, Corey West. Then you move into like guys like Arnie Wells, who's a distant Salt of the Earth guy, Steve Chamberlain, great guy. Rides his bike to the races sometimes. No kidding. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Pistol Pete's out there, a dealer. I believe he's up in Minnesota, and he makes the drive to just about it. I think he got perfect attendance this year. He didn't miss any race. Wow.
0: Minnesotans, we're dedicated. We don't get all year to ride, you know. That's it. That's it. Um, Let's see. Just looking through my notes. I think I touched on everything that I just had jotted down to chat with you about. Is there anything I'm missing? Something else you want to talk about?
1: Gosh, I I mean, you know, I appreciate the time just to talk about this stuff. I mean, you know, we're, you know, I know that you're kind of in the enhanced comfort department of riding, you know, these folks that get on a bike and they plug in, maybe uh, they'll take that wild ass tour and come check us out at one of our races this summer. Once our schedule's up, we can let you know, maybe you could post it and have a, you know, a ride there. I'd be happy to do that. Yeah. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Have you guys come in and, obviously i think uh you know like i've mentioned to you you know what you did with that that out of body experience riding your motorcycle that far that's that's testament to what your seat can do for your riding but man that's just a lot of intestinal fortitude i can't put the cap to you again for that bad ass thank you thank
0: you that brings us to my favorite part of the show have you listened to this show before
1: i've gotten through most of it what are we going to do now
0: five questions yep (laughs) So five questions, and this is the part, yeah, you'd probably tune out by this point, but five questions. So these questions are designed just to basically make you think. They're probably things you haven't been asked and things that will make you go, huh. But I love the responses and the variety of answers I get, and it's great, and I'm really looking forward to yours. They're all random. So I put them in, okay. I have 20 questions, I put them in a random wheel, and then I spin the wheel five times, and those are the questions you got. So you got it. You ready? Yep. Question number one. What purchase of one hundred dollars or less has most positively impacted
1: your life in the last six months? Hundred dollars or less. <sighs> On that one, I don't even know. Probably a uh, man. I don't even know. A purchase of a hundred bucks or less. All right. How about this? It was twenty bucks. I bought Brock Glover this weekend at the Hall of Fame. A Hall of Fame crest for his office store.
0: How could he not have
1: one? Well, you got in the hall of fame. We were walking through the thing. He goes, Oh, these are cool. And they're like those charms you put on your bike. Yeah. You're not supposed to buy your own. So I bought him one. So oh. that was my last purchase that made sense like that. That's awesome. Okay.
0: Okay. Uh, number two, what topic would you speak about if you were asked to give a Ted talk on something outside of your main area of expertise?
1: um, I and mean, these are like kind of like profound questions more than like, what's your favorite song? What's your base color? You know? Yep. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's so many political things that are like turbulent right now. So, you know, maybe something along those lines, but I don't know specifically on what.
0: Okay. Let's see. Here's another one. This will get you thinking. What do you believe is true, even though you can't prove it? God. I like it. These are new questions, too. These these last couple so nobody's even asked oh, God. nobody's okay. yeah nobody's gotten these answers uh let's see i like that one i don't it doesn't matter if i like them or dislike them they're all good because they're yours question number four how would you describe motorcycling to somebody that has never ridden on a motorcycle
1: um you know for i guess for people that have to understand you know like you say you hear the cliche you know the sensations of the the wind and the sights and the smells and but that's what it is i mean it's a panoramic 360 degree view of the world at speed you know if you're in the dirt it's out in the woods or on a motocross track or on an adventure bike or somewhere and you see things without roofs and pillars and blockades and you know your helmet's a good thing but i'm just saying you know you can usually catch your senses are for sure height when you're on a motorcycle that's it
0: yeah absolutely and when you mention helmet helmet goggles, almost that is almost completely out of your peripheral vision now.
1: Yeah, the way it is, that's not it. And your your head's like constantly on a swivel and you know, you just are so much I just think you're so much you should be so much more aware of everything. Yep,
0: absolutely. Number five, if you could have one gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it
1: say? One gigantic billboard anywhere what would it say oh gosh um you know coming to a town near you the brl is on the move and get ready to experience the greatest show on asphalt
0: (laughs) perfect (laughs) so those questions completely just to knock you off your game and see how you handle it there you go and like i said i was super excited to ask you these because you're a man very quick on your feet when it comes to this
1: stuff. Yeah, I mean, so. some of the other stuff, That's a, those are a little more like, hmm. Right.
0: Um, let's see, as we wrap this up, do you have any asks or requests of the audience of the show?
1: Yeah, honestly, if they could, uh, you know, I know all this social media stuff based on algorithms, they could give us a like, a share, a comment, a, you know, a something. We got a merch store too, so go check that out at our VRL speed shop. So uh, go pick up some hats and t-shirts and hoodies. They make great Christmas gifts, stocking stuffers, and when you wear them around, people know you're serious about the V Twin lifestyle. And
0: go through that list again. Where can we follow you?
1: Bagger Racing League on Facebook, Bagger Racing League on Instagram, BaggerRacingLeague.com, and the Bagger Racing League Speed Shop.
0: All Bagger Racing League. Do yeah. you have any last parting words?
1: I just hope that everybody out there has a great holiday season ahead of them, and uh, you know, hopefully at an event here in the near future you guys say hey i heard you on the wild ass podcast and i'm over here to check out the brl and that would just be awesome
0: that would be and and people you can find rob wandering any of these shows too it seems like i see you at all of them don't i like we're always in the same
1: places yeah i try to stay busy you know
0: yeah so flag him down say hi tell him you heard him here uh, that was it for that, folks. If you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. You can follow the adventures on Facebook or Instagram by looking for The Real Wild Ass. Of course, I am Wild Ass Craig. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see
1: you again in a couple weeks. And of course, thank you again, Rob, for coming on. It was a pleasure.